Well, today on the show, we have a great guest, Mark Peterson, CEO of Stronger Philanthropy, who is overseeing, get this, $39 million in grants awarded to organizations in Canada. He's also written this book, Love Giving Well, The Pilgrimage of Philanthropy. And he shares with us today about the parallels between giving and his pilgrimage in the Camino. Imagine walking 800 kilometers in over a month on your own on the dusty trails of the Camino. We're going to learn a lot about countercultural living. We're going to learn about why we must give and how it's a responsibility as people in this world to care for one another. That's coming up next on Your Story with Melinda. story with Melinda. It's so great to have you here. Thanks, Melinda. It's good to see you. Well, in my intro, just prior to this interview, I talked about how you've walked and you were a pilgrim on the Camino three times. Yeah. And I guess to start off this interview, my question is, why would anybody in their right mind want to walk 800 kilometers by themselves in the sun, in the heat, for that long, why would you want to walk three times on the Camino, Mark? <laughs> Tell me, please. <laughs> it's you know what everybody has a different reason mm-hmm. for walking the Camino, and um, in my own case, I have a very busy life, mm-hmm. lots of demands, and and I needed a break from that. And uh, in 2014, I went on the Camino with my son Nate, mm-hmm. and and it was a father son bonding time. And it was a chance just to kind of get into a different space mm-hmm. and process life, process um, all the things. I'm in my middle age, so, you know, <laughs> it was one of those midlife crisis types of things. <laughs> uh, but I loved it so much that I did it two more times alone. Wow. And, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity just to get your head in the right space in terms of your life and your future and reconnect with God and with with uh, who you are. Mm-hmm. And I felt I needed that. So 800 kilometers, uh, it's a pilgrimage. Uh, thousands of people do this thing called the Camino. Yeah. Uh, tell me what it is. Give us a picture of what's the Camino's purpose? Where did that even idea come from of walking you know, this, yeah. this distance in Spain? And uh, yeah, just paint that picture for us. Yeah, you know, there's over 200,000 people walk the Camino wow. every year now. Uh, it's grown in, in popularity in the past couple decades. Mm-hmm. But it's really a thousand-year-old tradition that has happened since medieval times. And so if you kind of put yourself back in those medieval, mm-hmm. in the medieval period, and, and think about what, what life in Europe was like back then. You know, there was no internet, no TV, <laughs> no books. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did these people uh, connect with God? How did they connect with their faith? Mm-hmm. And the way that they did it is a very bodily way. You know, they actually physically walked to Santiago, this, this city in northwest Spain, which had a church there, the cathedral, in the cathedral are the remains of the Apostle James. This wow. is the Apostle James. The, do you remember the story of James and John and, and the mother wanted them to sit on either side of Jesus mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in heaven? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that same James. His, wow. his, his bones are in this, in this place. And so 
people would walk from all over Europe, from Paris, from Berlin, from Geneva. They would walk through Europe all the way into Spain. And as all those paths coalesced in Spain, what's the the path in Spain is called the Camino. And that's what people are walking now. So it's an 800-kilometer pilgrimage that people are doing today. Mark, what do they do on that? I mean, there must be many different kinds of reasons people walk the Camino. But the, the yeah. main purpose for each person, obviously it's, it's motivated differently, but what would you say in general why somebody would want to spend that month, month to over a month doing it? Yeah. I mean, I think our world is, we're feeling very fragmented. Mm-hmm. You know, our lives are busy. Our, we're disconnected from God and from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're connected to technology, but not much else. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think stripping life of all of these extra things and walking a Camino can be really healing and it can put you back in a, in a better space again. Mm-hmm. It can reorientate your perspective on life back home. Now, you, in your book, in the stories you've shared with me, you know, I see the pictures of like a staff, uh, seashells, hostels, washing your clothes in yeah. rivers. Like it's, 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 it's sounds you're so carrying, primitive. You're carrying everything on your back. Yeah. You're, it's all in the backpack. You know, you have to make sure every item that you've put in your backpack, you're going to carry for a month across Spain. Wow. So you better make sure that it's useful to you if yeah. you're going to carry it that far. And the people that you meet, from all over the world, you said yeah. two hundred thousand people come, yeah. you know, each year to do this. You must you meet have some characters. Characters, and this is what I, this is my segue, Mark, right to you. You must have met at least one pilgrim sojourner that you know captured you in your imagination or learned from as you sat around the table or whatever you know in the in, after you've walked. Uh, tell me just a little story about somebody that just really inspired you. It was just an interesting person that you met along the way. There was a one one day on my second Camino, I was walking through the woods and mountains of northern Spain, and I was walking with a German and an American at this point. And these are people that I just happened to meet along the way, you know. Mm-hmm. And the American I ended up walking for two weeks with him. We're walking along through the mountains. They both had these technical walking poles, you know, like mm-hmm. the, they they were really <laughs> into it. And I didn't have any stick or staff yeah. or pole to, to walk with. And I was missing it because the previous year I had walked with a stick mm-hmm. that I had found along the way. Because the topography was so challenging at that point, it was, it was quite mountainous. So I was really starting to miss having an extra support mm-hmm. along the way. And we're walking through the woods and, and they start questioning me and they said, you know, hey, why aren't you walking with a stick? Where's your stick? And I said, well, you know, I walked last year with a stick and I fell in love with that stick. <laughs> and when I flew home to Canada, I checked it with my luggage on the, on the plane. And when I arrived in Toronto, the airline had lost my oh. stick. <laughs> so uh, I thought, oh, well, next year when I start walking the Camino, I'll get another stick. Mm-hmm. So I was all five days in on this new journey. And uh, waiting for the stick to show up, you know, because I, I knew it would. I knew one of the sayings on the Camino is the Camino will provide. Okay. And you just, this is one of the things you discover yeah. is as you walk along, the things that you need uh, come into your hands, mm. you know, and it's the way that I think God works. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stress about it. You don't have to get all bent out of shape. The Camino provides mm. and God provides. Mm-hmm. 
And so we were walking through these mountains and these, my friends are saying, you know, oh, what about this stick here? Oh, what about that? They're digging in the woods and they're pulling up, you know, options for me. And this one's too short and this one's too thick and this Mm -hmm. one's too wobbly Mm -hmm. and nothing was working. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, you guys just settle down. You know, (laughs) let's just keep walking. I said, the Camino will provide. I'm not lying and I'm not stretching the truth okay. in any way by saying what I'm going to say. Okay. But within five minutes of me saying that, and by the way, we're in the middle of nowhere. We haven't seen a single person all day. Wow. We're in the middle of the woods. Within five minutes of me saying, don't worry, my stick will find me when it's time. <laughs> there was a man in the woods, a Basque man, a, a, a guy who lived in the woods. Okay. And we're walking along. And this man pops out of the woods, and he yells to me in Spanish, and he says, hey, you need a stick. <laughs> and he, he walked over to a holly tree and held it up and started cutting down this, this branch off this holly tree and stripping it of all the ex- little branches. And he walks over, and he presents me with a stick. <laughs> and it was the perfectly formed walking stick no. that this Basque man just created for me in the middle of the forest. It's amazing. And I mean, that was just such a crazy story yeah. of how, you know, things are provided. Mm-hmm. That's a, I love that. And then what did the two uh, friends say? We couldn't believe it. I mean, <laughs> You're like, we I could told not, you so. <laughs> we, could not, we could not believe it. And it was just, you know, quite hilarious. And yet... I think there's a real lesson, a life lesson for mm-hmm. us in that. And that's the thing about the Camino is, you know, there's time and space to really open yourself up to these life lessons. Mm. This is only one of many. You know, Mark, in saying that, do you think that in the busyness of our culture, for those who aren't living in that place of the Camino or in maybe no. a rural setting or whatnot, have we lost that? I mean, Absolutely. when you talk about this provision, we're always wanting to provide for ourselves and make it happen. That's the kind of people that we are. You know, you just stand there and go, no, it will provide. God will provide. The Camino will provide for me. Why do you think we've lost that? And, and what's the danger of losing that kind of faith and hope of mm-hmm. provision from God? Well, I, I mean, I think in our, in our Western culture, we've become so self-sufficient, mm-hmm. so comfortable. We don't need anything, really. I mean, we don't need God. Yeah. We, we don't need the support of others even we think mm-hmm. and uh, everything is provided you know everything is so we're so insured by all kinds of other supports that you know if there's any calamity there's coverage there for us right you know and uh, I think the Camino for me kind of puts you in a place where everything else is stripped away and and you you recognize your dependence mm. that you have need of other people you have need of God you have need of submitting yourself to mm-hmm. others. For those who can't or won't or could never make it to a Camino to experience yeah. that, how would you experience that in the everyday? You know, you're going to work nine to five, you've got kids, you've got yeah. demands. How how can you find that space to experience what you you have about that sort of stripping away and saying there's simplicity to it, there's friends along the way and just trusting that God would provide. How, how do you do that in the everyday? Well, I think you can be creative mm-hmm. and, and find ways uh, to do that. It takes discipline. Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, intentionality. But you can walk out your door mm-hmm. and start walking. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do that. You know, don't take your iPod. 
you don't have to have all the fancy gear. Everybody, you know, most people can walk yeah. out their door. So just start doing that on a daily basis. Go for an hour long walk. That's good. Take the time. You know, I think it's yeah. for our, our health. Yeah. And and for our spiritual sanity yeah. that we need to do these things. I think that's a good point, Mark, because I think it's choices we make yeah. and the intentionality to do it. If we don't make it a priority or we think it's important, we're not going to do it. But I think what you're saying is even in those simple things, just take a walk, mm-hmm. unplug, mm-hmm. go for 10, 15, 20 minutes and come back. And you can find that time. It's it's if you want to find the time to do that. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a good lesson. You know, I'm always fascinated about when people do things like these kinds of adventures, what kinds of lessons come out of it. And I think that what you've shared is really important about, you know, that dependence on God and trusting that he will provide. Now, in your latest book, Mark, uh, Love Giving Well, The Pilgrimage of Philanthropy. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. You know, you, it's a beautiful parallel that you have, you know, that as a philanthropist, you see the parallels of pilgrimage in that, that, you know, in giving, it's, you learned a lot from the Camino that actually, you know, is in step with giving and your, you know, philanthropic life and and, and what you do. Um, Before we get to those, because I think those are fascinating, that those lessons and values are for everybody to learn from. Uh, Why don't you help us understand just what is a philanthropist? I mean, we've heard that. I know Mm -hmm. uh, people have read it and heard it, but I don't know if people really know what that means. And can anybody be a philanthropist today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think, I mean, a better, maybe a a more helpful word could be giver. Okay, yeah. And all of us can give. Mm -hmm. All of us know that giving is something that, you know, I think it's part of our DNA that God created us in order to be givers. Mm-hmm. When we're made in God's image, who is God but someone who gives? He gave his only son. Mm-hmm. Jesus surrendered himself to us. Um, and we are made in God's image. And we are all, in a sense, philanthropists mm-hmm. in that way. We all need to give in order to fulfill our human identity, mm-hmm. in order to reach um, kind of the, the better place of who, who we can be. Mm-hmm. Y- you look at people that don't give. Mm-hmm. You look at people that um, surround themselves with their things, and they become cloistered in their homes with stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a very impoverished, sad life that they live. Mm-hmm. You know, I think all of us can become philanthropists. So I wrote my book um, because of my work. When, when I am working with philanthropists who are larger donor families Mm -hmm. in Canada. Um, But I think that the principles in the book can be applied to anybody Mm -hmm. who is giving in in any way. You know, I think that's important. And I think, you know, can you share just a little bit of background about how you and your family decided to become philanthropists in that way about giving? Because, I mean, there are people that have means, they have a business, Mm -hmm. um, but they've never thought about actually, you know, sort of being philanthropists in that way about giving, you know, their money away. It's again, what you just said, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I want to be more focused on sort of material gain and they lose the beauty of giving. But how did your family come up with that idea? I think we really need to critique our culture Ah, and and resist what our culture tells us is most important Mm -hmm. and look at it through a biblical framework and lens. Mm -hmm. Um, If you listen to culture and 
and respond to the dominant refrain out there. It's accumulate success, wealth, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things are the most important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they aren't. And there are people who follow Christ, who have uh, incredible successes in their careers that, acu- that are able to amass a fortune, mm-hmm. let's say. Uh, and so my challenge to them would be, how do you live your life in light of that? And so with our family, we've learned how to do that, to uh, disperse these funds, mm-hmm. uh, to benefit those who have need, but in a way that is strategic, that is responsible, mm-hmm. and isn't throwing the money away to the wind, mm-hmm. because we're held to account for those assets. Yeah. We need to be responsible with what we're doing with those. And so that's, the, that's what I'm trying to communicate in the book. Uh, for my own family, but other families as well that are clients of mine, um, that there are new, that, uh, that there are responsible ways to manage and, and surrender mm-hmm. these uh, resources for the benefit of, of society. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're so thankful for, you know, your family in that because your family um, has given how much millions of dollars to help organizations in Canada? It's been... Uh, it's about, it's pro- approaching $40 million. $40 million. Yeah. So $40 million you've given to organizations to help um, local yeah. uh, l- local support. What kinds of things have you supported? Uh, we've, our focus has been on Christian charities, yeah. mainly, and, um, and the focus has really had two wings. Mm-hmm. One is to build capacity for charities. So by that, I mean help strengthen the ability of organizations to achieve their mission Mm -hmm. in a way that is effective. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one wing of it. And the other wing is the innovation wing. So we fund into new initiatives that help take that organization beyond its its current platform. Mm in something new and, and, and fresh. I love that thoughtfulness, Mark. It's not just like you're just throwing your money away and saying just help whoever, but yeah. that you, you as a family and the work that you do, it's very strategic. It's, it's also very competitive. Mm-hmm. And so the process that I've developed, uh, you know, some people find it a problem because it's, it's a competition. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and because there are so many coming at us with requests, there had to be a way for us to discern Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the best way for us to be effective with these resources? And so my, the framework I've developed has uh, given me the tools uh, to be able to discern that. But it, it has become a competitive process, mm-hmm. and organizations need to up their game and and really perform uh, yeah. beyond expectation to achieve uh, a funding partnership with our partners. Yeah, I think that's good, though. Yeah. I think everybody needs to up their game, yeah. you know, and look strategically and have a plan of where, where they are moving forward, mm. you know, versus just assuming they're just going to receive the funds because they're here. Right. I think that's important. Now, going back to your pilgrimage on the Camino. Yeah. In your book, but even I know in your own life, there's, there's again, these what we talked about, these parallels between philanthropy and pilgrimage. Yeah. And in your book, I love these points, but the three I want to focus on, I think the first one is you talk about that pilgrimage discards excess baggage, and you've talked about that. But you've, you've also said that that's like your own philanthropic um, 
you know, decision making and understanding of it. Talk to yeah, me about that. I, I'd love to uh, jump into that at this mm-hmm. point. Um, the idea of it, it's kind of interesting. And I mean, I'm probably the first person in the world that's ever connected the idea of pilgrimage and philanthropy. Uh, and I know it ki- might seem kind of obscure for some people, but for me, it, it took on a real meaning as I was walking. Mm-hmm. But as I was walking, I was realizing how pilgr- uh, philanthropy, you know, the act of giving mm-hmm. and and being generous and surrendering, you know, your resources and yourself to mm-hmm. others, um, there's a lot that is similar to the pilgrimage, you know, where you needed to um, let go of of all those support systems that you have on a pilgrimage, and and you're all alone, and and you're learning to depend mm-hmm. on other people. Um, philanthropists, the tendency and the the uh, temptation, perhaps is to think that if you're wealthy, you have it all together, mm. that you have all the resources you need, you don't need anybody else, and you can be a lone ranger. Um, but a philanthropist that's been changed by pilgrimage mm. has learned that, no, they actually need other people. They, they, they need to walk with others in community, mm-hmm. and that they're, they're stronger when they walk together with others. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, like you can't make these decisions in isolation. Yeah. And as a body of Christ, as the church, we're not meant to be isolated. Mm-hmm. We're meant to be in community. So pilgrimage has taught me that about my philanthropy. Yeah. I like that. Uh, the next one, Mark, I liked was that you said walking pilgrimage means going slowly. Mm-hmm. So I understand that in a Camino, but how does that make sense as far as philanthropy? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think philanthropy, What what is the purpose of our philanthropic donations? Mm-hmm. Uh, the purpose is, I mean, we flippantly say we want to change the world. Uh, <laughs> but how how long does it take to change the world? Mm-hmm. It's a very slow slow process yeah and philanthropy when when our agenda when our uh longing is to see social and spiritual change in people's lives in society um that doesn't happen overnight it's Mm not an uh, instant cure-all uh the donations we're making won't fix the social problems overnight Mm -hmm. you know we have to partner with our charity partners and and walk with them through decades of generosity and of uh, the opportunity to see transformation happen mm-hmm. in people's lives. Wow. And and the third point, you already you know alluded to it and, and said this, but was you gather companions along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and you did mention about how, as a philanthropist, you can't just do this on your own. Yeah. But just talk a little bit about that. I think it's important, again, to remind people, you, you can't do life alone. No. And when people try to do it in isolation, I mean, I don't... You know, you can do it, but I think it's very sad. It is sad. And it's not, you're not living in the fullness of of what that means to be loved or, you know, even with accountability or people committed to or loyal to you, uh, to have fun with, you know, even just just basic things to hang out with and do things. Right. Um, I think that's important. Anything else on that third point about the the importance of the companions along the way? Yeah. I mean, over the Camino, I accumulated different (laughs) companions, (laughs) some very unusual characters mm-hmm. and and the the beautiful thing about it was you know 
when you're stripped of everything Mm -hmm. and you're walking alone through Spain, just, you know, whoever you're going to encounter on the Camino and start walking beside, there's someone that you're really grateful for, you know, Mm -hmm. and in, in normal life, you know, you may never have anything to do with a friend, a 24 year old French anarchist, like I walked with, (laughs) or a 70 year old Indian mystic. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. and I started walking with these guys and uh, and and walking with them helped me realize, you know, that God might be at work in my life, but he's in work at work in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I needed them and they needed me mm-hmm. on this journey. Um, but in philanthropy, you know, I think that the opportunity exists for us to move, step it up a notch and move beyond our isolated giving mm-hmm. and give in in community with other people. And so I developed a, an initiative called Stronger Together. Uh, this is uh, several years prior to Hillary Clinton developing this as a campaign <laughs> the slogan. hashtag Stronger Together. <laughs> but, uh, but for eight years now, we've been running Stronger Together, and it's, it's a, a granting initiative where several major donors come together. This year we have six different foundation partners uh, mm-hmm. coming together uh, and offering... Uh, uh, funds for innovation mm-hmm. by Christian charities, and you know each each partner is is giving only a smaller percentage of the total amount available, but together we're stronger and we learn from each other mm-hmm. as we make these decisions, and so that's how it's applied to me and my philanthropy. Amazing. You know, Mark, there's so much more in your book. You know, you talk about giving is more than just a financial transaction. You mm. talk about this counter-cultural way of living and giving generously. And, you know, for anybody, it's not just for philanthropists, I believe your book. There's very specifics in it. But I believe in this, you know, sort of chronicle of your journey, a diary of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's about giving well. It, it's about all of us on this pilgrimage of how do we make sense of our own giving and finances, uh, the people along the way, you know, our companions about this excess baggage. So there's a lot of values that that this book, you know, your story um, uh, can really, you know, encourage us, you know, people that have a lot and people that don't. Yeah. What's your hope? We have a few minutes left. What's your hope that when people pick up this book, what do you want them when they close the book uh, to come away with? I think my hope would be that uh, when we look at our giving, that our giving moves beyond being a transaction. So giving can be very transactional. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've probably been requested to text $5 to some emergency that's Mm -hmm. happening. You know, and that's a transactional thing that you're doing. You have no connection to where that money is going. Um, And with major donors as well, when it's tens of thousands of dollars, the the, uh, giving can become kind of transactional. there is nothing, I mean, that is a good thing. Giving is good, even if it's transactional. Mm. But you can move beyond that to letting giving become a transformational event in your life where giving becomes something where you're not just changing the world, but you are being changed Mm -hmm. because of the surrender of the resources and you're entering in and engaging with the communities in need, 
you know, my greatest opportunities have been when I can leave my safe, comfortable place and travel in the developing world in walk in communities where, um, you know, the poverty is immense and meet these people in their homes with dirt floors and tin roofs and recognize that they have life mm. and they have freedom and they have joy in living. And it didn't take having all the stuff that we have here, right. but they have faith and, and they have community and they have humor and they have social networks, mm -hmm. um, very rich people in many ways that we don't normally see from our vantage point. That's good. Mark Peterson, thank you so much. CEO of StrongerPhilanthropy.ca. Yes. Um, author of the book, Love Giving Well, The Pilgrimage of Philanthropy. You can pick that up on Amazon, right? Amazon.ca as well. Yeah. And on your website. On the website, StrongerPhilanthropy.ca mm -hmm. slash book. Slash book. Thank you so much. Viewers, listeners, pick up Mark's book as soon as you can. It will inspire you um, in your giving. Uh, for those that are considering as families what to do as far as, you know, setting up foundations or being more, uh, you know, philanthropists and giving to into Canada, connect with Mark right away. And again, what a pleasure it was to have you. Thank you, Melinda. That's all the time we have this week, and hopefully you liked it. I know I'd hit that thumbs up button if I were you. You can also leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, and it helps the show reach way more people. You don't have to give the show five stars, but it's strongly encouraged. 